I still have Martin Luther King Jr. on my mind, even though the holiday in his honor has passed. And in a few weeks, we'll honor Abraham Lincoln's birthday with President's Day. So the reading, interweaving central ideas from two of their greatest speeches, caught my attention. The speeches were given exactly 100 years apart, Gettysburg Address in 1863 and the I Have a Dream speech in 1963. And both King and Lincoln recognized the historical importance of those moments in time. And both hark back to the Declaration of Independence conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal is how Lincoln summarized the ideals of freedom in the Civil War. And he reiterates the Emancipation Proclamation, making the end of slavery one explicit goal of the war. And then King gives his speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to echo these ideals of the Civil War and Lincoln's speech. And he, too, calls up the Declaration of Independence's promises. One day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So both in 1863 and 1963, the country is stuck between a rock and a hard place, between maintaining untenable traditions and breaking free from inequality. And in Lincoln's day, the stakes are between maintaining the lucrative economics of slavery with all its deeply embedded social and religious justifications, or creating a society where black skin does not designate an inferior, subhuman piece of property. In King's day, it's between maintaining the lucrative economics of segregation of Jim Crow or creating a society where black skin does not designate an inferior citizen. So at the intersection of the anniversaries of these defining moments in our history, we are always called to see if we're making progress today. Looking back, each of these speeches mark momentum still shaping our nation today. The 19th century version of slavery as an economic and social institution is long past. And the 20th century version of racial segregation, legalized, is also past. And yet, from the news and from what I observe in my city, Strides toward betterment are discouraging 
We have modern laws and systems and customs. Recreating forms of slavery. Men and women are unable to work. Their families out of poverty. They're living under virtual enslavement of debt, incarceration, inadequate education, addiction. And we have lingering segregation between races and ethnic groups, policies, geography, religious dogma, and media stridency continue to erode chasms separating us, increasing fear. So we're still stuck between familiar, degrading ways of doing things and competing visions of a more just future. We still have so much work to do. I'm interested in how these two great men take seemingly impossible, polarized situations and create opportunities for change within that rancor. And despite our turning them into simplified heroes, both were flawed, and as human as each of us, they manage to cultivate flowers of liberty that take root in hardened places. They each held abiding ethical principles serving as their compass through the struggles. In Lincoln's case, despite his quiet rejection of the doctrinal core of the Christian religion, Lincoln grasps its moral meaning better than most believers. Lincoln never formally joins a particular religious sect, yet is renowned for his knowledge and use of scripture. In the book Lincoln's Virtues, William Lee Miller sees Lincoln relying upon America's universalism and egalitarianism and the moral concept of the nation that they rested on. That was his moral compass. Martin Luther King wrote extensively about the development of his moral leadership. It was grounded in the Southern Black Baptist Church of the South and of his childhood, as well as his extensive formal theological education. Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment, King writes. Perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. Christianity wasn't his sole source of ethics. He was deeply influenced by the teachings of Gandhi. He traveled to India to better understand how nonviolence had the power to break cycles of retribution, to create lasting peace through reconciliation. 
We are called to be creative extremists when opposing forces block any clear moral steps. We are called to cultivate flowers in hardened places each day as individuals, as family, as Hope Church, and as citizens, we encounter ideological solidity needing to be torn asunder. The Tibetan Buddhists have a term for being stuck between a rock and a hard place. They call it Shenpa. The whole religious tradition is concerned with getting unstuck, becoming detached, getting unhooked. Enlightenment in Buddhist terms is about reaching the point where one avoids Shenpa, avoids traps, and the churning of our minds that keep us from seeing new possibilities. The Buddhist nun Pema Chodron writes about Shenpa this way. Here's an everyday example of Shenpa. Somebody says a mean word to you, and then something in you tightens. That's the Shenpa. Then it starts to spiral into low self-esteem or blaming them or anger at them, denigrating yourself. And maybe if you have strong addictions, you just go right for your addiction to cover up the bad feeling that arose when that person said that mean word to you. This is a mean word that gets you, that hooks you. Another mean word may not affect you, but we're talking about where it touches that sore place. That's a shenpa. Someone criticizes you, they criticize your work, they criticize your appearance, they criticize your child. And shenpa. You're hooked. She's talking about the narratives we spin out to justify all our actions. The Shenpa of Lincoln's and King's Day justified the superiority of one race over another, one human over another. These stories we tell ourselves shape our realities. They constantly need re-examining, which is why some Buddhist traditions are so strong on meditation. Meditation is a mini-research session for observing the tendencies of your own mind, your personal shenpas. These teachings are useful not only for getting to know our individual habitual tendencies, but for counteracting our media-saturated society's collective shenpas, our culture's hamster wheel repetition of advertisements, news, facts, 
and non-facts. They mimic the repetitive strategies of our own minds. Interpretations and perspectives begin to feel unmovable and permanent. Like a rock, like a mountain. The only possible truth. These culturally entrenched ideas are the rocks and the hard places of our moment in history. In their day, Lincoln and King find the alternative narratives of universalism, egalitarianism, to uplift the human sphere from the seemingly solidness of slavery and false prejudice from those 19th and 20th century shenpas. I have spent enough time on my meditation cushion to become well acquainted with my versions of Shenpa. One of my thought patterns that hooks me every time is the notion that there is some single right action to take in a situation. And of course, it's not what I'm doing. I'm not taking that right action. I'm doing something else. I should have. This becomes paralyzing. It's my paralyzing Shenpa. And I had one of these familiar, unskillful moments of craziness last weekend. Sunday night, there was an interfaith march and worship service downtown in memory of Dr. King. And then again Monday morning, hundreds gathered for the Martin Luther King Day parade. I was not there. I could have changed my plans to go. And despite fidgeting and worrying and feeling I was making wrong choices, I tried to enjoy what I was doing. Yet doubt kept crowding in. I felt between a rock and a hard place of my own making. Hope Church was not there. This church has marched in the past I heard reasons why the church isn't involved now. It's always so cold. Not many people show up. The same people show up. Of course, I certainly can provide the ministerial leadership to insist we march. The problem is not lack of authority, but rather the church collectively discussing our priorities to decide the best use of our resources of time and energy and funds. My question to myself, as well as to each of you, is, is it important to have been at the Martin Luther King events? And beyond this specific holiday, to broader questions. What issues and related actions are important to this congregation. So as the church considers whether to call or settle me, these are the questions I want us in part to be discussing. As the church works on long-range vision plans, these are the questions to be wrestling with. These are not solely theological conversations, 
Although our diverse theologies play critical roles in them, these are not social conversations, although they will expand and strengthen our bonds with each other. And these are not up to the board or let's form a committee conversations, although they will consistently challenge these structures and how we do church. But they are fundamental conversations of identity. Many injustices and events and parades and meetings call us to participate. How does hope make very hard choices to do this but not that? What ethical, moral, and religious beliefs inform those decisions, those choices? How can the church be effective in bettering ourselves and our community without burning out? How do we avoid taking actions that primarily feel good or garner attention but do not change our hearts or societies? How do we act as creative extremists, crack open ourselves and those around us? I can easily name issues critical to the church, but do we truly embody them within these walls as well as beyond? Eradicating racism certainly is one, and supporting reproductive justice, another. Homelessness, food insecurity, decreasing poverty, fighting our stifled education system, misunderstood gender rights, attachment parenting, ineffective public transportation, These are social ills that I can say all of us care about. So some of you will say it's my job to tell you whether we must attend next year's Martin Luther King Day events or whether we need to have a presence in the upcoming Gay Pride Parade in June. Yes, it is my job. But it's not my job alone. I consider this ministry a life-affirming collaboration. Our church structure is a democracy designed to thoughtfully share power. Neither Lincoln nor King worked alone. Each developed their moral leadership within religious, social, and political systems, friendships, out of a broad and thoughtful network They could begin to crack open the petrified forces of inequality. So what are hope's deepest values? What do we want to crack open? Our work together is making sure that hope's board, different committees, active social groups, and the congregation as a whole 
regularly explore our deepest values. Where do they come from? And are they strong enough to disrupt damaging, hardened narratives? Our city remains racially and culturally segregated. Not just blacks and whites, but Native Americans, Hispanic, and a host of immigrants from around the world. We may seem primarily white here at Hope, and many of us economically privileged, but I know that we are actually much more diverse than we appear. We have to get to know that diversity. We have to discern together the most effective ways for us to be creative extremists together at this point in history, at this location. May we cultivate whole trees that take root in hardened places, including within ourselves. May it be so.